I mean, I'm I'm so excited. Like I have, like you said, I've got like 90 questions in my head that I've got. Yeah, no, that's cool. Just start wherever okay. you want. Do the I'll intro to... and then we can just yeah. keep going. Yeah. Hey, welcome to Sauce on Beer, Bourbon, Barbecue. I'm your host, Kevin, joined here by Alex. What's up, Alex? Hey, how's it going? And today I'm really excited because we are hanging out with our first head cider... What? Cider maker? Cider maker. <laughs> uh, John Logan, you are the head cider maker, like you just said, of uh, Black Bear Cider Company. Uh, and John, just first of all, thanks for having us here. Um, yeah. This is... Uh, Absolutely. Great time. We were kind of talking before we started recording, and I've learned so much about cider already that I didn't even know was <laughs> possible. Um, so let's just jump into it. How did you get your start in cider? Yeah, so um, thanks for having me. Um, glad to be here. Um, so as Kevin mentioned, my name's John John Stark Logan. I'm founder and, and head cider maker at Black Bear Cider Co. in St. Louis, uh, I started making cider. Well, I guess I, I got got into cider making through winemaking. So I guess we're tackling the the gorilla in the room right off the bat with the very first yeah. question. So <laughs> contrary to popular belief, um, cider is not brewed like beer. Cider is actually fermented like wine. So if you when you think of cider, uh, it's actually apple wine. Um, which that was, yeah, 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 that was news to us. Yeah, yeah, that was news to us when we started. Because when I wrote all these questions, you know, the first question I wrote was, "How did you get into brewing?" Because when we interview brewers, that's what it is. But mm-hmm. I didn't even know that it was different than brewing. And you yeah. were kind of telling us that you know, it's no, it's nothing at all like brewing. Um, you said it was it's pressing of apples, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so cider is fermented like wine. Uh, you can. Um, so there's no boil. So I guess that's that's the big difference. In, in beer, you have the, the boil um, with the the wort, right? Mm-hmm. Um, correct yeah. me where I'm wrong. Yeah, no, you're good. I've, I brewed beer once in a beer <laughs> beer making class, which was very educational. Um, but I actually started making wine in, uh, it was when I was in college. So um, a lot of my uh, fraternity brothers and I used to make wine in our, uh, fraternity in our in our room um, mm-hmm. for uh, for the uh, I guess the girl the girls yeah. who always hung out at our house for for our formal every year because I mean that sounds super cool like oh hey, yeah we just made this wine <laughs> like I mean it, it sounds super sketchy but, <laughs> but but I mean but that's like hey we're doing something really kind of cool here I mean for yeah. me at least you know the nerdiness it is it. yeah no it's fun it's 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 definitely fun um, and that's how I got addicted to it was just seeing the process. You know, you, you uh, crush and press the, the fruit, and you can either do a wild fermentation, uh, which is just a natural fermentation of the yeast that's prevalent um, on the on the skins or within the fruit, or you can do a, a cultured, you can pitch cultured yeast like a lot of winemakers do, um, using different different strains of yeast, um, and that's what that's what we used to do. So we used to ferment in our uh, in our fraternity house <laughs> for the. Uh, for the formal every year, and the girls got a big kick out of it. We did raspberry wine, strawberry wine, 
blueberry wine, so different different country wines, obviously. Um, and it's just something that kind of stuck with me after college and over the years. Um, and I started focusing. I did some grape wine as well. So so wine's basically divided into traditional wine made from grapes or country wine, which is made from anything other than grapes, so any kind of fruit. And I did a lot of apple wine. Um, and apple wine just sort of evolved naturally um, into cider. And so I, I, uh, I got really big into cider. And that's when, ironically, I guess there was this big revolution and resurgence of hard cider um, in our country. And I didn't even realize it was a thing until it became a thing. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, hey, this is a thing. <laughs> so that's when I really started focusing uh, primarily on on cider. And you said too, kind of before we were talking, your family's background with orchards and nurseries and kind of growing fruit. Yeah. You know, it's not just like a couple years where you were saying what, 200 years or so? Yeah. Yeah. So we actually just celebrated our 200th anniversary in, um, 2016. So, uh, my family, um, founded Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards in Louisiana, Missouri. And, uh, uh, that was in 18, 1816 um, that they started the nursery. And so it's always just been a huge, huge dream of mine to continue to do something to honor my heritage and my past and my ancestors. And so it was just natural that I I, I, ha- I knew it with my life I had to do something with apples and dedicate to apples. So... Um, that's obvious and you know the, the growing that I do you can look out my yeah. back window and see I have I only have about for everybody listening at home I only have about a fifth of an acre if that yeah maybe not even a sixth of an acre um and living in you know downtown St. downtown Louis. St. Yeah. Louis yeah. <laughs> and I have let's see um I have five apple trees in my backyard I have four peach trees I have two pear trees I have black partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> uh, probably through the winter, you could probably look out and see one. See one sitting out there. Um, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, blueberries. Uh, I even have hops growing um, nice. on that little place that you see, a little fortress you see back there. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of fruit. Oh, and obviously grapevines right here. So I built this trellis in my backyard, uh, which you can't see through the apple trees very well, but. I have four four grapevines growing there. So your backyard so, is a very well stocked. It's, it's a yeah. uh, orchard and vineyards, so. <laughs> um, and I just recently became a master gardener, uh, St. Louis master gardener two years ago, two going on three years ago, I think. Okay. So I still volunteer in Forest Park, um, work at the Jewel Box and okay. Flora Conservancy, and volunteer. I was have a really good time doing that. So we do all the pagoda circle around the muni we or i'm out there weeding on saturdays and <laughs> so you're <laughs> so, always busy i'm always busy yeah <laughs> always busy so um, we tell us about the black bear cider company um it's the name of it of what you're doing here now I, yeah. I see you have a book in front of you and your shirt is the stark tree <laughs> bear it's a black uh-huh. bear as well so i'm i'm assuming something in the connection of the uh, name and all that there yeah um, yeah, good question. So I was looking for a name, uh, for my, for the, for our family cidery and 
um, I just naturally thought of the iconic bear barn, which some of you may or may not be familiar with, but in Louisiana, uh, Louisiana, Missouri, at the, the home of Stark Brothers Nurseries across from the main office and what they call their test orchard, which is where they test a lot of different apple varieties to see if, um, I guess I'll back up for a second. So they have uh, farmers, orchardists, um, regular folks who, uh, gardeners, people who like growing or just happen on to what they think may be a new apple variety or a new fruit variety. Um, they actually take cuttings or signs from those trees and mail them to Louisiana and uh, if they think they've discovered something new. And so what what Stark Brothers will do is they'll graft those signs onto rootstock and grow them in that test orchard and run a series of tests. They'll just sort of monitor them to see how they grow, um, to see if they like the fruit that's produced, see how hardy it is, see if they're susceptible to any diseases, um, you know, anything like that, and and basically see if they're interested in buying rights to uh, to that variety, um, and then if they you know, if they, if they want to continue to cultivate that, then they'll, they'll, uh, they'll buy the rights to it. And, um, they patented the very first variety, I believe was patented in 1932. So it was the first, first fruit patent in, uh, the United States. And so a lot of people don't know this, but Stark Brothers is actually responsible for cultivating the red delicious apple, the golden delicious apple, the gala apple, and several other apple varieties that you see when you go to the grocery store or go to the farmer's market and buy, buy fruit, um, Stark Brothers is actually responsible for, uh, for cultivating, cultivating those varieties. And a lot of the varieties we have today were actually products of red and golden delicious apples. Okay. So a lot of the new ones you see, like the fancy new jazz and the, you know, all these new varieties. Um, but Backing up, <laughs> um, that's just a little bit of history on their business, what they do. So they specialize in selling, um, not selling fruit. They used to sell fruit way back in the day, back when they first started in the early 1800s. Um, they they would have pioneers and, and settlers who were moving westward during westward expansion come to the nursery and buy trees. And this was before... Um, you know, Johnny Appleseed was a big part of that uh, when he made his way across the Ohio Valley and planted uh, apple seeds. He actually did that. He didn't, he wasn't just a hippie who kind of uh, mm-hmm. walked around town just spreading uh, apple seeds. I mean, he kind of was. Yeah. You know, he's a very fun-loving, uh, fun-loving guy and very laid back. But he was also doing that um, to carve the way, help carve the way for... Uh, for the colonists who were moving west. So um, the colonists brought uh, uh, the varieties uh, called geniton, geniton apple signs from Europe. They brought over with them to plant so that they would have apple crop. Apples were a huge commodity back then um, for, obviously for eating, but also to ferment into hard cider because water was unclean. And so they had, they would consume their body weight and cider <laughs> in just a couple of days, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, they'd all, all wake up and have breakfast with, uh, you know, a glass of cider 
Um, Maybe we should try that. <laughs> Old-fashioned diet. Yeah. <laughs> Replace your water with cider. Um, so I have a question about that, actually. You've mentioned, um, we've talked a little bit about beer, and you mentioned apple wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you started making cider. So what's the difference between wine and cider? Hmm. That's a good question. So... Um, the difference between wine and cider. So we already kind of talked about how wine, I, I split wine into two different categories, traditional wine, which is made from grapes and then country wine, which is made from, um, anything other than grapes, uh, so raspberry wine, strawberry wine, et cetera, and so forth. Um, cider, uh, you're setting me up for a very, uh, complicated <laughs> not complicated answer but um want to make sure the facts straight um so cider is primarily you can say whatever made, you want at this point in time because yeah. I, I i don't know this so <laughs> you can tell me you have to send around jupiter three times and i'll believe you on that john well i like <laughs> cider um cider is primarily apple based so you have uh you have an apple base and then um, I like the variety uh, or the, um, what am I trying to say? I like the flexibility or versatility of cider. Like cider can be a lot of different things. So, um, this day and age, when you think of cider, just the way that it's marketed, it can be marketed more as a wine or it can be marketed as a beer. So if it's, and especially here in the St. Louis area and Missouri, you know, the, the cider, uh, resurgence is kind of happening on the coasts and it's even started happening in the south and then up where you up north where you have more of your apple growing states like michigan upstate new york um and then the, over to the northeast and then obviously the pacific northwest oregon washington northern california which is where probably 80 percent of our apples grown in the u.s come from um so really what a cider is, is it can be a lot of different things, but it is apple-based. So it can be marketed more as a wine or it can be marketed as a as a beer. And here in the, the Midwest, I would say it's marketed, a lot of people think of cider as being more like beer because mm-hmm. of the way it's marketed. Mm-hmm. It's sold in cans. It's sold in 12-ounce bottles. Um, the labels a lot of times are sort of happy-go-lucky, more... Um, um, more comic in nature, kind of more more fun, yeah. you know, like like beer, like like Less beer. A lot of times is sold, um, and then it can be sold as a as a beer or a wine, right? So it be sold in like wine formats, seven fifties, three seventy fives, those type those types of formats, which are sort of more the the premium um, style wines, or you know, cider, ciders can be sold that way. And I don't think we're, we get a lot of that because we don't have a lot of cideries or wineries in our area that are selling it that way. So mm-hmm. people just naturally think of um, cider as being more like beer. And yeah. even the distributors who distribute here, it's difficult to get their hands on the cideries that are sort of out on the coast, Pacific Northwest, Northeast and around it's it's difficult to get sort of those more i guess premium ciders that are sold in those types of formats so they're usually coming coming in cans and bottles and they're usually carbonated like beer as well um so i think a lot of people think of 
um, cider as being more like beer. But I guess the backup, yeah, the backup yeah. to your original question of how is how is cider and wine different? Um, I think there's just a lot more versatility with cider. Um, so cider can be it can be still, so not carbonated. It can be more like wine. It can be carbonated or really effervescent or sparkling. Um, it can be sweet. It can be dry. It can be somewhere in the middle. Um, it can be primarily just uh, apple-based, um, so just a, tr- a true cider, which is just a true apple, apple wine, um, or it can have secondary fruit additions or even aged in barrels um, or different things to give it, give it different, uh, different flavor profiles or different personality, I guess. So I think there's, there's more versatility maybe um, okay. with cider. But it's mostly apple-based versus wine. You know, we talked about that a little bit. So kind of going into that now, can you tell our listeners the process from start to finish on how to make a cider? And you can get in as much detail as you want, but I yep. think it's it's cool that you said that you take your apples from the tree farm in Louisiana, Missouri mm-hmm. to here. And then kind of, so kind of go through that whole process of, how does that how does that start? So if you want to start making a cider today, how would you go about that? Yeah, so um, I wouldn't be able to make a cider today. Okay. So <laughs> no, no, no. And, I'm, and, not, and I'm not being critical. Yeah, I'm no. just I'm just I, I liked the way you set me up for that. So I was just wanting to make that yeah. point. Um, and that's that's another big difference between uh, between cider and beer and sort of the misconception that cider is beer because a lot of times I get. Um, you know, I get a lot of friends who ask, how's the cider thing going? How's the brewing going? How's the, how's the cider beer? Um, or I'll, I'll give bottles to friends or family. I'll say, thanks for the cider beer. Thanks for the beer. I'm like, okay, it's not beer. And, <laughs> and my wife, um, she has to say, okay, calm down. Um, because I try not to come across as being critical or, or being negative yeah. or being insulting because it really is an opportunity just to educate people. And, and you can't point the finger or blame folks because, Again, it goes back to what they see in the store. Mm-hmm. You know, they're used, and you can't blame them because what you see, it really looks, uh, it looks like beer, and it's carbonated, and it's sweet, and, and it's on the beer list. Like, and it's think, on the beer list yeah, when yeah. they go to the restaurant or they go, go to the bar. What's on tap? You know, it's right there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right there alongside the beers, and and they're getting it on draft. So you know, it's sold like beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So yeah, just um, so we can't do it today, but we can't do it today because you know there are a couple different ways that that cider is made. Depending on if you follow um, more of the model, where say a cidery is located someplace where they really don't have access to apples, um, like you could be in Scottsdale. I don't know a lot of orchards there in Scottsdale, mm-hmm. <laughs> or down uh, down south, or just someplace that's really dry, or, or just not. You don't have great access to apples, but you're like, hey, I want to have a cidery. I think I saw a cidery pop up in Hawaii somewhere, which is really cool. You know, um, the best apples you can get are the ones that you, the best apples to use are the ones that you have or okay. you can get access to. So if you if you want to have a cidery and you don't grow apples, um, you go to the farmer's market and they don't have apples, you can't get apples. Like this time of year, you can't get apples. So the only way to really get um, apples or get juice, which a lot of cideries do, is they order it from 
large commercial presses and your large commercial presses are going to be mostly in the Pacific Northwest. So again, in Oregon, Washington state, cause that's where about 80% of the U S apples are produced are in that territory because it's, it, they have the climate, um, you know, best well suited for growing apples and they can do it uh, the way they preserve the apples and everything, they can do that year round. And even in Michigan, um, they're still they can still um, crush and press. Alex knows all about Michigan. He's from Michigan. Okay, I'm kind of from Michigan. So there I'm you go. <laughs> <all> the <time. laughs> um, so the way the way that that happens, you know, they'll they'll uh, they'll order um, typically order totes or tanks, big tankers of juice, and bring it in, and um, and fill their tanks. And then they'll ferment the juice um, in about a week or so, week or ten days, and then filter it, and then it and then it goes into the packaged container, whether it's a keg or a can or a bottle, and then it goes out to the retailer. Um, so restaurants, so bottle shops, that's a grocery stores. Short process. That's a short. That's a short process. Um, that's what a lot of cideries this day and age are. Uh, that's the model that they're okay. following. Um, uh, just because they can, they can make cider whenever they whenever they want. Just like a, a brewer, you know, can get grain and, and mm-hmm. brew and do that um, most any time of the year. And then you have the cideries that are more they follow more of a winery model, which is which is what we follow. Um, so we we uh, will actually graft all of our own trees. Um, grafting is a is a technique or an art form that dates back to you know the early early days of the, mm-hmm. the settlers when when they brought signs um over from europe uh they were grafting so that's where when you i guess the best way to explain it is as a sign spelled s-c-i-o-n a sign you, <laughs> what the difference is or you hear you hear scion a lot of times yeah. a scion or a sign is basically a cutting of a fruit tree so when you the best time to do that is when you prune your fruit trees um, during the year, uh, usually in the late winter, early spring is, is a good time to prune your trees just just for the health of the tree and to help with production um, that spring. And you take those, those signs or those cuttings and you do what's called grafting. You graft them to rootstock. So the rootstock is exactly what it sounds like. It's the, it's the, the roots... Um, it's a cutting of the, the roots and you basically fuse the, the cutting of the tree to the rootstock so that it can grow in the ground. That's, that's where our process starts, I guess, early in the years when we're, we're grafting a lot of our trees. Um, and maybe I'll just take a couple minutes. The, the reason that we do that is so that we have control over what types of varieties we're growing. Quick history lesson. So <clears throat> when the, the colonists came over, um, like I already talked a little bit about Johnny Appleseed and my ancestors who started, started the nursery, um, who started cultivating those early and on old sort of heirloom varieties. Um, they planted a lot of, uh, like the Geniton, uh, variety, um, other varieties that were products of that variety and other varieties, um, were what we call cider specific varieties. Okay. So I start out, um, when I explain 
sort of the the gamut of different apple varieties, I compare apples to grapes. So okay. so you have two main categories of apples, and then there are subsets of those categories. So not to get <laughs> super detailed for you, um, but you have dessert or table apples, and you have cider apples. Much like when you think of grapes, you have wine grapes, and you have table grapes. So table grapes for eating and mm-hmm. out of the fridge, and you have wine grapes, which... You may not want to eat because they're probably really high in tannin, which is really bitter. Mm-hmm. And you spit them out when you when you uh, taste them, or they're really high in acid, and you don't want to you don't want to eat them. They're really good for wine, but they're not so great for eating. Apples are much the same way. You have cider specific varieties, which a lot of times we call spitters because when you pick them off the tree and bite into them, your mouth or your your whole face just scrunches up, and you just want to spit it as far as you can. Um, like a crab apple. Okay. Think about a crab apple, right? Think about how a crab apple tastes. Yeah. Um, so you have those cider specific varieties, and then you have table apples, which can even even be further divided down into <laughs> dessert apples, like Jonathan apples, which are sweet but a little tart. You know, they're really good um, for eating, and then um, uh, culinary apples, like a Granny Smith, which is really good for pies and and baking. Um, the cider varieties are are even further divided into four main categories, and that's sweet, sharp, bittersweet, and bitter sharp. So sweet are obviously high sugar, sharp are high acid, bittersweet are high tannin, high sugar, and bitter sharp are high acid and high tannin. Um, so you have those those four you have some blend or some some combination of those different types of apples that will make a nice balanced complex cider and you can even take it a step further there are certain varieties of apples that are what we call single varietals um, where you can use one variety one apple to um, make a nice cider like a kingston black is an apple variety that um that is is a what we call a bitter sharp. That sounds apple. really fancy. So, by that, way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's high high sugar, and sugar is what's going to give you your alcohol content. That's when you when you pitch your yeast, that's going to react with the sugars. It's going to eat the sugars and produce CO two and alcohol. Um, sharp is obviously going to give you acidity. That's sort of the difference between between drinking Kool Aid and drinking Tang. Gives you a little zing to it, right? A little character, mm. kind of like the rosé has a little bit of of tartness, um, from the, from the, uh, the Chamberson wine. Um, and then your, uh, bitterness is tannin and that gives it, gives it, uh, gives it, it's astringency, which is sort of that roughness. When you drink wine, you think about drinking like a, like a cab or, or uh, a Merlot or something that's that roughness. When you touch the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth, you get sort of that leathery feeling that mm-hmm. gives it a little bit of, um, complexity or character um so those are those are the cider specific varieties and then we talked a little bit about the table apple varieties the cider specific varieties are what the colonists originally grew or what they originally had for their hard cider when they produced hard cider and during prohibition that dark time in america mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) yeah that's when the government ordered the burning of all apple varieties all cider varieties because wow 
to, to get rid, basically rid our country of hard cider. (laughs) Um, they burned all of the cider specific varieties, um, during that period of time. And then it's, and then cider slowly started coming back in our country, but it came back as sweet cider. Right. So you think about in the fall, you like going out to the farm or the Mm -hmm. orchard and picking apples and, uh, like I have an old double basket press. You know, you throw the apples in and crush it and press them and you get the sweet cider. Um, and that's when it started coming back and it was kind of fun. It was uh, with American tradition going out and, and picking apples and drinking sweet cider. And then again, um, there was sort of intervention uh, into sweet cider where it all had to be pasteurized, right? So the other ugly word that begins with a P, <laughs> pasteurization. <laughs> Um, and that's, you know, when you go to the store now and buy sweet cider, it's all pasteurized, um, because of petulin and things like that, that can, that they're like diseases and things where, uh, you can get, you can get sick from it if it's not done properly. Um, so that's sort of a, a quick history on sort of the evolution of cider. And now it's, now that it's starting, now that hard cider to be really specific, has started to come back. There's this confusion of, well, when you say cider, is it hard cider? Is it sweet cider? Like, what is it? Mm-hmm. Is it pasteurized? Is it not, you know, what's, go, what's going on? Cider, if I buy a jug, yeah. yeah. And I leave it in my refrigerator, will it ferment, and I will have hard cider at some point and, in time? And, and it shouldn't, because, and that's the thing. Like, back in the day when you bought cider, you usually bought it in glass jugs. Like, I know Stark Brothers, I remember going with my dad over to, we had what was called the ice box. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of their business is the old uh, retail garden center where you can actually go buy um, any kind of fruit tree. You want apple trees, peach trees, nectarines, you know, anything, plums, pawpaws, rhubarb, you can get anything. And uh, we used to sell sweet cider in glass jugs. Mm-hmm. And I remember going with my dad over to the ice box, which was this big kind of kind of shed in the middle of the orchard uh, that was a, a walk-in cooler and we'd go in and we'd pull out jugs of cider and take it back to the garden center and sell it. And it was all sweet, you know, fresh pressed cider and you, you can't do that now. Mm-hmm. And you take that home, put it in your fridge and after a couple of weeks, um, you'd start feeling a little funny <laughs> after you drink it. <laughs> start getting a little, you know, start carbonating and fermenting and hmm. it doesn't do that now because uh, if you container anything, you're required to pasteurize it. And that's, that's another reason why we like to crush and press all of our own fruit. And we're very careful about where we get, we have relationships with other Missouri growers and other relationships we've had with, with orchardists and families since the early 1900s, probably. Um, it's where we still get a lot of our apples and juice, uh, when we're not getting it from our own orchards. Um, but by, by pressing and everything ourselves, we know what the blend is. We know what varieties are going into making that cider. Um, we know that we grew that fruit. Um, and then by grafting the trees, we know exactly, we're able to grow exactly what we want. Hmm. And that kind of goes back to what I was talking about before. Other cideries that are getting juice from the larger commercial presses, they're using a lot of um, sort of, I don't want to call it filler fruit, but it's, it's fruit that may not be quite as sweet, quite as tart. Uh, you know, it's, it's really basic juice, I guess, because they're pressing whatever they can get. And that's why you have a lot of these ciders now, 
uh, of what I'll call modern ciders, where they have to take the juice that they ferment, and when you taste it, it doesn't really have a lot of complexity to it, right? It's not it's not really tart. It doesn't really taste, you know, it's just kind of simple. And so that's why you, you get all of these pineapple ciders and guava-infused ciders and lemonade ciders and um, all these types of ciders. Now, th- then there's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of like you make whatever you can, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but by us grafting our own trees, we're able to slowly introduce these cider-specific varieties that were all burned during Prohibition. They're starting to come back in the U.S. as more and more cideries and orchardists and growers realize there's a demand for those types of varieties. And so you have a lot of people like me who are out there um, grafting cider-specific varieties. And it just takes time Mm -hmm. for those to grow. You know, depending on the rootstock that you use, the rootstock a lot of times will determine the size of the tree, how quickly uh, it produces apples, um, how quickly it, or how well it uh, tolerates diseases and um, how hardy it is, you know, during the wintertime. Um, how freestanding the tree is, those types of things, whether or not you have to trellis the tree. And I could spend a whole nother podcast <laughs> just on that. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. So uh, once you get the apples, you bring them here, and then, then you press them, and that's yeah. the juice that you use. And then you were saying earlier, um, our friend Dave uh, from Still 630, sometimes you'll use, like, use barrels or you'll... Yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of our f- favorite ciders to make. We do a lot of... Uh, barrel-aged ciders. So I would say right now about half of our production um, is in our barrel-aging program. Uh, but to back before I jumped on that path, um, yeah, that our, our next step of the process, you know, early on in the late winter, early spring, we're, we're pruning the trees, then we're grafting. As soon as it's warm enough to ship rootstock in, we get a lot of our rootstock from Cornell, upstate New York, uh, and then also Washington State and Oregon, we ship in rootstock, and then spend. I'll spend a couple weekends um, with friends just grafting, okay. and um, like those single varietals that we mentioned. Yeah. Stark Brothers just patented a new variety called a Franklin Apple variety, which is another good single varietal like the Kingston Black, and and we uh, we grafted about five hundred of those trees on a Saturday just sat on my friend's back porch and mm-hmm. grafted all day. <laughs> and so it's labor intensive, but it's, you know, it's fun. So we do that. And then, um, as you get closer to fall, that's when we, uh, we go out and we pick, pick all the, pick all the apples. Um, we pick them in, in bins, apple bins, um, and ship them back down here. We bring them back down to St. Louis and, uh, wash them, crush them, press them, um, and that's how we get our, our juice for fermentation. Hmm. You know, some apples will store for up to six months if you store them really? properly in proper conditions. Nah. That's what they used to do back in pioneer times is they would actually harvest the apples. They'd, they'd store them down in the root cellar. Or you call, they, call, they call it the root cellar or the apple cellar for a reason. You hmm. know, they would store apples down there and eat them all throughout the winter, even in spring and, and summer of the following year. Okay. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. I have a, a nitpicky question about that process. Yeah. I, I like, I'm, I'm a sure. nerd for details too. So you've said, take the apples, then you crush them, and then you press them. Yeah. To me, that sounds like the same thing. 
Okay. Crushing and pressing. So what's the difference in that process? Yeah. So, um, so how I'll answer it a different way. So how I started, uh, crushing and pressing, you know what a, a cider press is? I actually don't know. So if you've been to sort of an old school farm or orchard, um, what, what, you know, used to do in the fall, um, is crush and press apples. You think of like what a basket press looks like. Um, it would have what's called a grinder or a hopper on top mm-hmm. and you th- and it's a two step process. So you throw the apples in the hopper and the top and somebody's, somebody's cranking it and it goes through a grinder where it, where it sort of pulverizes the apple mm-hmm. with this little paddle wheel type thing. It squeezes the apple and crushes it into a basket. And then the basket goes up to, uh, what's called a screw press and you crank this, the, you screw the press down and it presses the juice out of what we call the pomace. So when you crush the apple, it creates this pomace and then the pomace is pressed into juice. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So that's like what a traditional basket press is like. Um, now that that has changed cause I started with a single basket press that I got from a friend who is old winemaker. And then I bought a double basket press so that I could have sort of more of an assembly line going. Somebody's crushing and somebody's pressing and then it just keeps going. Um, basket presses, unfortunately, are very inefficient, which I didn't realize because you can only crank that thing down so hard. And even when you lift the, the press bag out, that pomace is still super wet. Hmm. And so we built um, uh, a traditional, what's called a rack and cloth style press. Uh, in a rack and cloth style press, you have all these different uh, racks, basically, you build up, and each layer is called a cheese. And so you build up these cheeses to form a, a one big press pile, basically. So you lay down a, a layer, and you put down um, like a cheesecloth type. Uh, or burlap sack type thing. Um, back in the olden days, they used straw. They use straw, hmm. so they put straw down and then take a shovel and shovel the pomace on the on the layer, and then they just build up this sort of these different cheeses or this one big cake, and then you slide that under a press. And we use um, uh, was it two uh, twenty ton hydraulic press. Oh, okay, um, so it was this. Uh, uh, 20 ton shop press basically. And then, um, it's powered by a, uh, air compressor. And then we press that down and that whole pile, you know, we press it down as much as we can, um, and get as much juice as we can. So our press efficiency went up from like 60% to like 85%. <laughs> so we can get a lot more juice, um, juice per, you know, per, uh, per bushel. Of apples, I kind of measure. How many apples bushels. is a bushel? <laughs> a bushel is about third. I would say thirty-two. Okay, somewhere between thirty and. 40. I've always wanted to know. I, I, yeah. I just <laughs> never, never. You can know. actually look out right. Like our listeners can't see, but um, these yellow bins out here okay. on the other side of the fence, those are. Um, basically just the bins that I sort. use because I can actually, just like that, yeah. yeah, so I can lift it. They're small enough where I can lift, and I like it because I can sort apples. I like to keep the apple varieties separate when we harvest. I might put Jonathan's in one, Jonah Gold's in another, Mutsu in another, um, 
you know, galas in another. And that way I can blend when I press because ideally you really want about 30 to 60% of what you're pressing, the apple varieties that you press to be, um, be sugar, uh, sugar concentrated apples. So like sweet, sweet apples. Right. Um, and then another probably 10 to 20 or 30%, um, acid. And then another maybe 10 to 30%, um, uh, what we call aromatic apples or really, you know, have that really heavy sort of floral on the nose, like a Cox's orange pippin or a winter banana. Those, those varieties are really floral. Um, and then maybe like five to 10% bitter. So some cideries will even cider makers will start adding crab apples hmm. to give it that sort of tannin uh, or astringency, that, that bitterness to give it a little bit complexity. Um, we experiment a little bit with crab apples, but not, not too awful much because we get a lot of that from the cider specific varieties that we, that we grow. Um, so you kind of said that you use all these different apples and all that, like mm -hmm. what, how many varieties of cider do you make? Like, uh, or is it like, it depends on yeah. the the crop that you have that year to make different types or it does. It can depend on, that's what, that's the other thing that's really fun about, the type of cider making that, that we do um, is that it really does depend on what grows that year. Um, and even our orchard blends, you might taste a cider that we made from this year's vintage, which are apples that we harvested in 2018 versus um, what we harvested in 2017. You might have the two, same, two identical ciders Two, two same blends, but they might taste a little bit different. Hmm. And I contribute that to the terroir. So that's the other thing. That's, that's why cider is a little bit more like uh, winemaking is, um, and why we use local apples is terroir does enter into the picture. It, it uses that local Missouri environment. You know, what, what's in the soil, uh, the, the sun, what was the climate like that year? Did we get a heavy rain? Did we get, was it really hot? You know, all those things, just like grape growing and winemaking, uh, they all contribute to the finished product. Mm. Um, so, so the different ones you have, like what are some different? Yeah. So, and, and I know you also asked about, uh, barrels and, and getting some of those barrels from, um, from local distilleries like still 630. We, uh, right now this year we did about 25 different types of cider. Oh, wow. Um, I started out just doing a couple <laughs> and, um, you know, I went through sort of the same progression. A lot of people do, and that's, um, using different types of yeast and seeing what that did with it and different varieties. I did different blends. Um, I like to do a lot of single varietals even though, you know, you might say like a Granny Smith apple, uh, you have no business doing a single varietal Granny Smith because, I mean, a Granny Smith is just really tart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I thought, what the heck? I think it'd be really fun mm -hmm. because I want people, when they taste the cider, instead of, like I said, instead of doctoring it up with all these other ingredient uh, and flavor additions, I want them to taste the cider and know what that apple tastes like. So when you're tasting a, a Granny Smith single varietal, what does that taste like? Mm -hmm. um, we did a Cox's Orange Pippin single varietal, which, which a Cox's Orange Pippin 
is a it's a really cool apple because it has flavors of uh, it naturally has flavors of of orange, um, pineapple. Uh, it's a really fruity, uh, citrusy sort of tropical apple variety. The 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 flavors and the aroma. It's really heavy on the nose. The the aromas you really get that sort of citrus forward, mm-hmm. pineapple forward. And I thought instead of doing a pineapple cider, which you know, we don't grow pineapples in Missouri unless you grow them in a greenhouse. Like right. I, well, actually I have a pineapple on my deck, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we forget, we'll forget that. that. Yeah. We'll count that out. Um, why not use an apple that tastes like pineapple? Interesting. Like, you know? And so I just, that, that's really sort of my passion for the apple and, and my heritage and the history and everything. I, I want to, I want people to really get the character and, and, uh, you know, what does that apple taste like? Mm-hmm. I want to be authentic. Yeah, that's really um, neat. So of those 25 varieties, are all of those made to sell or some of those just experimental? Let's see what happens. Yeah, um, some of them are experimental. Uh, some of them we've done year over year. So we have, like I mentioned, our heritage blend. We do that every year. We have our uh, our few different what I call orchard blends, which are... Um, you know, like I said, I, when we harvest the fruit, I like to keep them separate so I can blend before I press so I know what varieties are going in and I can kind of say, okay, this is about 50% golden delicious, which gives it its its um, its sugar, um, like what it really needs, its sugar level, right? Um, and then I put in like Jonathan or something that's going to give it the acidity that it needs. Um, so I'll do a couple different orchard blends one i call it orchard reserve the other is called our legacy blend which is a combination of um, jonathan and golden delicious and the reason it's called legacy is because that's what my family back when we used to do sweet cider um, we did a blend of golden delicious and jonathan so i thought well that'd be kind of cool to do that same blend but turn it into a hard cider and we'll call it legacy Um, all those are fermented dry so it's not what you know you're going to get the store that's that's super sweet you know they're all they're all dry i do a couple of off dries or what i call medium sweets for people who like a little bit sweeter um so i do a couple of those but they're still going to be air towards the drier side um and then i do all the single varietals so this year i did a roxbury russet single varietal I did a Golden Russet single varietal. I did a Granny Smith single varietal, which I named uh, Mary Alice after my grandmother. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of fun. Uh, And then we do a lot of different barrel-aged ciders. Um, I get barrels from uh, all local distilleries. So this year I had barrels from Still 630. I used a couple of their different, um, their Rally Point Rye. I I make a... uh, uh, what we call our riverboat rye, which is our um, orchard reserve aged in the Rally Point rye barrels for 12 months. Um, and we call it riverboat rye. And then we do a bourbon barrel aged cider. Um, and we also did some of the other distilleries too, uh, Wood Hat. We got a lot of different whiskey. Uh, whiskey barrels from them we had a red corn whiskey barrel a blue corn a white corn and then also a berry berry cordial barrel 
uh, which will be really fun. We're getting we're getting ready to rack that one for late summer, early fall. Um, we also got barrels from Pinkney Bend. They're a cask finished gin barrel. We did a peach cider this year, which we actually co for what's called uh, co fermentation. So we we got peaches from um, Calhoun County. So everybody's familiar with Calhoun County peaches. Uh, we got Calhoun County peaches and blended them with our sweet cider right after we pre- crushed and pressed the apples and fermented those together. And then it went through a period of primary fermentation, then our secondary fermentation, and then we filled the cask finished gin barrels. So it's a, it's a gin barrel aged peach mm. cider that's been um, aging for about eight months now. And we'll, we'll, uh, we actually racked a couple of those barrels about a month ago. So they were aged for six months and then we'll probably, uh, rack a couple more here in the next, uh, next couple weeks for, for late summer. It's a nice, it's an, it's a really nice, um, it's a nice, uh, trying to think of how to describe it you know you get you get the peaches from mm-hmm. since it's uh co-fermented um, since they're blended pre-fermentation um you pick up on the peaches so you get the the sweetness of the peach on the on the nose or the bouquet of the cider but not really not um sweetness on the t- on the taste so you sort of get the hint of the peach and then you get a little bit of spice from um from the gin barrel Sounds like it'd be really so, good, like late August when it's oh, like stupid uh, yeah. humid out. And you're like you don't want to do anything, and it just it sounds really refreshing, kind of. Yeah, you know? the first barrel of those that we racked were like just in time for Kentucky Derby. Okay, and so it was like a perfect time, like from then, and then, and then everybody was asking for it, so we're like, okay, so we did about six of those barrels this year, so we uh, just kind of have been progressively. Um, uh, racking those I guess throughout the throughout the summer months is there one that's your favorite I know I, yeah, I, I always get in trouble tough. when I ask somebody that question <laughs> who does this because it's like I'm a teacher so it's always like oh, well do you have a student that's your favorite I'm like I like all my students but I could tell you a handful that were my favorite you know so yeah, like that's t- it's tough because they're all so different um, they're they're all made uh, so differently um, I really like I like the barrel aging because uh, it's just fun to see you know you it's fun to sort of experience the progression of it so when you're testing them over that period of time every time you taste test them you kind of do the smell test and you do the taste test and then you have to do the lab test work um, you'd sort of get to taste it throughout its lifetime you know mm-hmm. each each month it tastes a little bit more and more like what you want it to taste like and then you kind of decide okay now it's about ready it's like cooking mm-hmm. you know when you're cooking in the kitchen mm-hmm. and you're tasting like a stew or something or a chili like is it spicy enough is it too sweet is it what does it need you know um so i'd say that one that one's kind of fun and then we, we just do all of our ciders are so so uh different we do a dry hopped cider, um, and we primarily do that for the beer drinkers. But I do the I do the dry hopped cider, which is where we uh, take our uh, one of our ciders and then we use fresh local hops. So I have a, f- a friend who has a local hop farm, and um, we'll pick pick hop cones or hop flowers, and then we just basically uh, put them right into the cider and just mm-hmm. let them steep 
for a couple of weeks. And then it's kind of fun because you get to taste that one to see, okay, is it ready? Do you, do you think it's ready or not? And it sort of picks up through the dry hopping. It picks up a little bit of the, you know, the hoppiness of the, of the hops. So do you make your ciders specifically to like pair with food to pair with dessert to drink on their own? Or do you make ciders to cover all of those categories? Wow, that's a that's a good question. Um, that's a little bit difficult to answer. I think you know I started out. It's our menu of ciders to this point have have just sort of evolved over time. So mm. I started out doing. I started out just with with the apple. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I I I chose the apples that I like to eat. And then also, um, sort of a, a rule of thumb is, you know, when you're, when you're making a hard cider, generally whatever apple varieties you think will make a good sweet cider. So a good combination of sugar and tartness, um, will, will generally become a good hard cider. So I started out with, um, I started out with the varieties that I thought would make a good sweet cider and then just fermented them into what, what became a, you know, a pretty good hard cider. And then I started playing with different varieties and doing single varietals and, and things like that. And then once I sort of had, had that down, like the, the different blends that I liked, like our, our legacy blend and our, our orchard reserve, um, our single varietals, our heritage ciders, I just started trying new ciders that I thought would be cool or just fun to try. Mm. I'm like, I'm just going to try them. And, um, instead of doing, I guess I kind of went the other way about it instead of doing market research and saying, well, what do people like to drink? Well, I already knew that I wanted to put something different out there. Mm -hmm. I already knew that I wanted to put a different cider. I felt like the market was saturated with overly sweet ciders, a lot of modern ciders. Like you get a lot of the, um, uh, you know, like like a lot of the botanical ciders and the pineapple ciders and the other fruit ciders are already out there. And so I wanted to just do something different than that. And I also knew I wanted to ferment drier because I just wanted to be different and I wanted to be authentic and I wanted people to taste it and know, like, again, this is what that apple tastes like. This is what I'm tasting. Um, so more of a sort of a wine experience, gotcha. right? Um and more, tra- more traditional. So I just started trying new things like, like this one, like the rosé. Which is um, fantastic, by the way. I mean, like, I'm not a big wine. Yeah, your glass is it's empty. empty. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> my wife's always like, you know, oh, we're going to get this wine. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to stick some beer and bourbon. That's just my go-to. That's my wheelhouse. And it was really good. I really Thank enjoyed you. it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, it, it uh, rosé was a big trend last year and the cider world everybody there there are a couple rosés out there and then everybody started doing it and i'm not really one to follow the trends but i i uh i don't know i guess i'm a hypocrite (laughs) because i thought well no it'd be really fun to try and what we do in our rosé is we actually blend our we have our orchard reserve and then we blend that with our in-house chamberson wine so I have a friend who has a vineyard out in Defiance, Missouri, 
and we go out and pick Chamberson grapes in the fall and ferment the Chamberson wine separately, and then we blend that with our cider. So this is about an 80-20 blend of cider to Chamberson wine. It comes out to about 10%, uh, 10% ABV. I thought it would be fun to sort of give a tip of the hat to Missouri, and Chamberson is obviously one of our more popular red wines, and so I thought, well, to stay Missouri, um, I think I'll make our rosé blend of cider and Chamberson wine. So that's what we did, and people, we kept it still, so there's no carbonation, and it's fermented dry, and uh, there's a little bit of, of tannin there from the uh, from the Chamberson grapes, um, but it also still, you know, sort of has the apple you know, the appleness of the, uh, of the cider, and it comes out to be a pretty, pretty nice. It, it's really good. Yeah. I'm very, very impressed. Um, the big question, and I'm going to get this from all of our listeners, is where can they get your your ciders. Yeah. Um, so right now we're available on, um, the beer outside beer truck. So beer outside is, um, I have a couple of friends who have this, this company. They took a, uh, it's basically like, it's like a food truck or or a trailer that they've converted into a walk-in cooler. Um, it's really cool. It has 20 taps down the side and it's all for, for local craft producers. So a lot of local, local beers and, um, and they, uh, specialize in portable beer gardens. So they travel all over St. Louis. Uh, they're in tower Grove a lot. They throw out picnic tables, cornhole washers, food trucks. And it's really fun to go out with the family and friends and, and sit by, uh, the ruins pond there in tower Grove and grab some local, local fare from the food truck, and mm-hmm. grab a couple beers or a couple ciders, and just kind of hang out on a nice summer day. Um, but they they were uh, they were in Forest Park last year after um, Lou Fest. They were at the boat house, and that was pretty cool how everybody came together for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they just do a lot of events, and they're around different parks around the area. So that's where we're currently available on tap. Um, we're working on bottle licensing or labeling so that we can sell bottles. Um, we're looking at a lot of other uh, uh, bottle shops around St. Louis, um, craft uh, craft places around St. Louis, restaurants, um, you know, those types of places. Kind of a follow-up from that. What, Which ones, like maybe what two or three would you recommend people try for the first time if they've never had yeah. real cider before? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say it depends on I guess the the first the first question to ask is if do you like do you generally like sweet or dry? Right? Because a lot of people like sweet ciders and a lot of people like dry. So obviously from there, um, all of our orchard blends we produce both a dry um, and an off dry to a medium sweet. So if, if you think of like sort of the spectrum there, dry is all the way dry <laughs> and then sweet is sweet. And then you have um, sort of in the middle from dry to sweetness. You have dry, off dry, medium, then medium sweet or semi-sweet, I guess is what they out in the market they're calling it now, semi-sweet and then sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do, we do a dry and we do a medium sweet of all our blends to give people a nice variety to choose from. 
Um, our sizer, which we just produced this year, uh, sizer is spelled C-Y-S-E-R, and that is a cider blended with honey and can be produced a couple of different ways. It can be produced more like a mead. Um, so a sizer is a cider with honey um, as long as it's less than 50% honey, if that makes sense. Because anything more than that would be considered a mead, technically. Gotcha. Um, so you can blend the honey in beforehand, before um, fermentation, and then ferment it. So chapitalizing with honey, basically. And then um, it takes on more of a barley wine flavor or a mead flavor. So what we actually do is we blend the honey after fermentation. Um, and the reason we do that is because we use, uh, we have friends with, friends locally who have um, beehives and produce honey. And so we take all the honey from their, from their hives, fresh from the hives, and blend it in after fermentation. And it's really nice because you get a little bit of the sweetness from that. It's not overly sweet, but you get a little bit of the sweetness and then you can really pick up on uh, the floral notes of the honey. You can really taste the honey. It's a really cool, cool flavor. Um, And we bottled those. It was actually supposed to bottle that today. (laughs) And then we waxed up the tips and beeswax from the hives. That's neat. That's (laughs) That's really cool. That's kind of neat. But that one, that one's a little bit sweeter. If you like sweeter ciders, try any of the off dry or medium sweet ciders. Um, the sizer, and then uh, we usually release a lot of our barrel-aged ciders closer to the fall. So I would say late summer, early fall through the winter. That's when I think people really like like the bourbon mm-hmm. barrel-aged ciders, and uh, with the exception of the the gin barrel-aged peach and our rum barrel-aged blackberry cider, which we'll release during the summer. Well, John, I cannot thank you enough for uh, sitting down with us today and just educating us on what cider is and what you guys are doing um if people want to see what you guys are doing what's the best way to do i know you guys have an instagram page um and then the website if you wouldn't mind giving that just so our listeners can kind of yeah so uh we're on facebook twitter instagram and our website is www.blackbearciderco.com so you can go to the website that gives a little bit about our uh, our history or our story um, there's a feed there from our social media pages, a lot of good information there. And, um, my contact information is there as well. So, um, I, I love geeking out about cider <laughs> and talking about the process and sharing the, the history. And if anybody has questions, feel free to reach out to me directly. Um, you can call me, email me, um, happy to, happy to answer any questions or, you know, help in any way I can. We appreciate it. We appreciate you just sitting down with us. Um, I've learned, like I said, I've learned so much. (laughs) I didn't even know. Like I said, yeah, I just didn't know. And now it's, (laughs) it's so much awesomeness that you've given us. So I appreciate it very much. We're really excited to see where you guys go. So, uh, um, we're always here to support you however we can. And, uh, Thank you again for having us here, John. We really I appreciate, appreciate that. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. Thanks for putting up with my <laughs> rambling for <laughs> however long. But I appreciate it. Was it. It's it was good. It was good. It was good. So, Alex, where can people find you on? Yeah, I'm uh, on Instagram at the dot Alex dot experiment. And I'm Kevin. You can find me at beer underscore bourbon underscore barbecue. And we hope that you stay sauced on beer, bourbon, and barbecue. <laughs>